Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each death has enough trouble for the time. Thank you, Danny. Well, David, you, you taught me something there. Next time somebody tells me I'm grumpy or something, I'm just going to say I'm a little less joyous than I'm than desirable. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good term there. Oh, I like that. So glad to have you all this morning. Go to Matthew chapter six. Follow along in our bulletin or uh, on our app. But I want you to know this morning, as we get started, that if you're here and you're seeing this today, that ability. Your ability to see down the row at somebody you love, to share communion, to see the screen or the passages that Danny just read is a miracle. You, as the psalmist declares, have been fearfully and wonderfully made. God's works are wonderful. We know that full well. Especially when we start to think about the miracle of how we see. The miracle of sight. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this is incredible. The human eye is quite the piece of machinery. It is formed in the womb sometime between week three and week ten of gestation. And how we gain sight, it works like this. At some point between week three and week ten, a bundle of nerves, about one million of them, starts to grow from the back part of your brain called the occipital lobe. And it starts to make its way forward. While at the same time, while your eyes are already formed in the womb, another bundle of one million optic nerves starts to grow backwards towards the occipital lobe. Between week three and week 10, those one million nerves have a meetup in the middle of your brain. And number three nerve has to meet up with number three nerve over here. And number 562,143 nerve has to, meet up, uh, has to meet up exactly with number, what did I say, 562,143 and if all those million nerves meet up, you get sight. It's incredible. It's a miracle. It's why we call it the miracle of sight. And why you're able to see is because God has made us fearful and wonderful. The eye is one of the most advanced pieces of technology on the planet. It has two million moving parts inside of it. Two million. It has the fastest muscle in your body is in your eye. All the ways it works and all the wonders of how we get sight is still a mystery to modern science. But I want you to know this morning, as we get going into Matthew chapter 6, that the God who made you and the God who made you to be able to see and take in his good world wants you to know this. If I was to sum up the words you just heard from Danny, where he speaks about sight and how we view the world and about not worshiping two gods and about not worrying. It's this. In the words of Jesus, what we're going to discover today is that what you see in Jesus' mind is not near as important as how you see. I want us to go back to this verse 
We're going to focus on two little verses out of the larger section of Matthew 6, 19 through 34. And we're going to look at Matthew 6, 22 and 23. In which Jesus is going to say some very strange things about sight. And I want you to hear the bizarreness and the oddness in what he says. Verse 22, Jesus says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy or clear or good, or the word can also mean generous, more on that in a minute, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, lean in on this, remember this line, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Now don't just gloss over those words and go, yeah, I've heard them before, or they, if you haven't heard them before in the strangeness, don't just dismiss them. There is a danger of hearing but not listening. What Jesus just said should sta- sound very strange. We don't talk about eyes in this way. We might like somebody's eyes or we might say romantic things about somebody like, oh, they just have beautiful eyes or that's my brown-eyed girl or whatever it is that we might say. But we never hear romantic lines like, oh, your eyes are like lamps. (laughs) You know, we don't say that. So this is a strange, weird way of saying and speaking about eyes to our modern ears. Jesus' view of vision and what he's saying is bizarre. But what Jesus is doing is tapping into a larger theme, a much larger theme here about what some of us have recently probably studied or heard about, a biblical theme of what is good vision and bad vision, or what is called in the Hebrew the ayin tovah or the ayin raya, the good eye or the bad eye. This is a thread and a theme that shows up in Scripture all over the place. And it has to do with answering the question of how will you see? What's your view of the world? How do you look at the world around you? Will you see it as it was made in Genesis 1 and 2 as good and fruitful and abundant? Or will you see it like Genesis 3 when there wasn't enough and it's scarce and it's dark? And it's evil. This good eye and bad eye theme is embedded not only in those creation accounts of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but it's everywhere. God's instruction about how to eat and take manna in the desert has to do with good eye or bad eye. Is there enough or will you try to hoard more? This teaching shows up in the Proverbs. It's in other places by Jesus. And I want you to note here that when Jesus says, if your eyes are healthy, the word he chooses to use there in the Greek can mean clear and good, but probably for the context, what Jesus is saying is if your eye is generous, if you see the world in a generous way, this healthy eye then will be full of generosity. But, On the other side, he says, if our eyes are unhealthy, then you will see the eye, you will see the world as dark. Jesus uses this, or the Bible uses this term for generosity in a couple other places when he speaks about the good eye, the ayin tovah, and the ayin raya, the bad eye. 
And it's here in Proverbs 22.9. It shows up. And the Bible describes a generous person. It's that same phrase for healthy that Jesus uses about our eyes. The generous, the healthy of eyesight will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. And in Matthew 20.15, as Jesus shares a parable called the parable of the vineyard workers, the vineyard worker, the master of the vineyard says, don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I have ayin tovah? I have a generous eye. But I want you to hear this. When we focus in on this two little verses, Matthew 6, 22 and 23, this is more today than just a lesson on optimism or the power of positive thinking. Jesus is in fact getting us to get into what we already said. He's focusing us in on an inside-out transformation that happens in our life because what you see is not near as important as how you see. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the ethics teaching for the Christian life, it is the way of life for the Christian. Here in the middle of it, Jesus is going to give his, what I believe is his most clear teaching on inside-out transformation. How do I change, not just from my behavior, but how do I change so that I become the person I want to be, the person that God has called me to be? And what he's going to do with us, and you'll see this, but I'm going to go ahead and, and give you the punchline today, is that we often want to be people where seeing is believing. Kids wanted to see the lion, the penguin, like faith will not believe penguins exist until she sees them, right? right? I love that. But Jesus, what he's going to do is flip-flop that today. And he's not going to say that seeing is believing. He's going to say, when you are transformed from the inside out, believing will be seen. And that's what we're going to explore today. But to understand that, we need to see this a little bit different. And we need to understand what Jesus just said in verses 22 and 23 when he talks about the eyes being the lamp of the body. So I've got a couple of volunteers I'm going to bring up to help me out with. Nathan and Coleman, if y'all come up here. Coleman, if you'll take a spot right here. And Nathan, if you'll take a spot right here. And what these guys are going to help me with is the difference in our modern view, and Nathan's going to be our modern view of how transformation works. And Coleman's going to be the ancient view that Jesus is getting into, the biblical view of how transformation works. So first of all, Nathan, if you'll put those on for me. This is the modern view of transformation. And most of this is probably informed. Those are my reading glasses. Blue light will not bother you right now, so you guys can shine your phones in his face. It'll be fine. Okay? You're looking good. Thank you. Man, it's like 35 on his ACT, right? You know? <laughs> look at this guy. All right, looking good. You're about to look really ridiculous. But anyway, all right. But the modern view of how transformation works a little bit like this. One of the reasons we view this a little off is because we know how sight works. We know that sight works by light coming from the outside. It comes into your eye. It's focused on the back of your retina where your rods and cones adjust. They grow or shrink based on the amount of light. And then your, your, your retina sends a message because of that light, a 2D message from your optic nerve back to your occipital lobe 
where it is transformed instantly into a 3D image and you see. It's incredible. But what we see and what we know about sight is that it comes from the outside in. Our brain interprets it. But I don't want to make too much of that, but that still has influence in our lives. And here's how it influences us. This and other places influence us because often as Christians, what we believe is that what we see determines our heart. And because we go through a life and in a world where there is darkness and evil out there, and there is places that aren't good, what we do is most of us put on blinders. This is my craft project for the week. Hold still. There you go. All right. <laughs> These are the blinders we put on. We go through life believing that the world out there is bad, so I've got to only see just a few things, right? Right? You doing okay? <laughs> and we go through our world going, okay, I can't touch, don't look, don't go over there. And we think that transformation of our hearts then happens by what comes in this direction. Now, I can give you a bunch of examples of that. Think about the sin you struggle with, right? If your anger gets a hold of you sometimes and gets the best of you, because we believe in outside-in transformation in this modern view, then what I do is I don't want to be in situations or see situations that make me angry. Hope y'all are still paying attention. It's hard to pay attention up there, right? Or if lust or pornography is your problem. We often then struggle with, well, if it's an outside-in thing, then I'll just avoid this. And what we do is go throughout our lives, instead of being transformed, all we really do is do behavior modification. And there can be some wisdom in that, and I understand that, but here's the problem with that. The problem with this modern view, and you're almost done, so just hang in, is that when we live by this paradigm of what I see transforms my heart, then my goal in the modern view is simply this. My goal then as a Christian becomes to transform my circumstances. So if things aren't good, doing good, it must be the circumstances. If I'm struggling with a sin or I'm struggling with a bad habit, it must be my circumstances. So we look to change those circumstances. But Jesus actually doesn't teach that here. Jesus doesn't teach this modern view of the goal being to transform our circumstances. Instead, he gives us an ancient biblical view. On the other hand, what Jesus does is he says a different perspective. He says, your eyes are lamps. Coleman. <laughs> he says this weird thing that your eyes are actually producing the light. And this is actually an ancient belief. An ancient belief that sight was only possible because of an inside source that was coming out of your body and it was believed to be in the heart or in the gut, in your inner being. Jesus will speak of this in other places like Matthew 12, 34. He will say, for out of the mouth, right, the heart speaks. But hang on with me for just a second. This is Jesus' genius switch. You can stop shining those in everybody's eyes. You can turn them off. Okay. 
But here's what I want y'all to know. Jesus' genius switch is this. The upside down and inside out take by Jesus is he's saying the modern view says what you see determines your heart. Jesus switches that and he says your heart determines how you see. Right? Look at that. Can you see that? It's a little heart in there. (laughs) Here. Your heart determines what you see. There you go. There you go. That was my other crafting project of the week. (laughs) Now this is key. I'm going to let you all sit down here in just a second. But why this is key is because what Jesus is saying to us is that with a transformed heart, what you see can and does matter, but how you see matters more. Because it's how you see out of a light that is fully transformed your heart first that makes all the difference for what you see out here. Let's give these guys a round of applause. You can, you can have that. Thank you. Thank you all. That's right. Thank you guys. Now, we're going to get into some implications of that because this is very, very practical. The implications of this is think about what you just heard from Danny a few moments ago in this larger section of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is going to say some hard things like store up treasures in heaven, have eyes and have a heart that is full of light and don't have a heart that is full of darkness. And then he's going to go on to say, you can't serve God and money. And hey, don't worry about food. And don't worry about clothing. And then he sums it up with, seek first the kingdom of heaven. There's got to be implications for that. But I believe here in verses 22 through 23 is the key. It's that inside out idea that how I see is much more important than what I see. That if my transformation is happening here first, then I stop all the effort I try to make in trying to make it happen in reverse. This has wide-reaching implications, and I want to highlight just three this morning. Number one is the implication is between us being people that are divided and us being people that are completely loyal. See with these blinders on, right? It's kind of hard to see in those. What happens with these blinders on when you're trying to control everything out here is you're making the rules. Do you ever feel like part of your heart's still not given over to Jesus? Do you ever feel like there's some parts of your life that you're like, yeah, Jesus, I've let you have 98% of my life, but there's still 2% I don't want to talk about? That might be because you're living with those blinders. You're still controlling the narrative. God really isn't in control because your heart hasn't been transformed. You haven't given that over. So you have divided loyalties instead of being completely loyal. But when you're completely loyal, when you see that transformation happens here and then the light comes out of me, then you can belong wholly to God. You can serve only one master. You don't have to worry about where things are coming from, because now you see the world in an abundance mindset, in a place of going, I don't have divided loyalties between God 
and money, all the money I have is God's already. So I'm not divided between two masters. I serve only one. In pre-Civil War Maryland, so we're talking 1830s, there was a slave whose name was Jacob. And Jacob had become a Christian and had formed in his life the Christian practice of praying three times a day, which is an ancient practice passed down, praying in the morning, at noon, and then at night. And it didn't matter what was going on or what his owner and slave master, Mr. Saunders, said. He was going to kneel three times a day and pray. One afternoon, Jacob, at lunchtime, was kneeling in prayer. And Saunders had beat him many times for this. And he approached Jacob and he put a gun to his head. And he ordered Jacob to stop praying. And he ordered him to return back to work. As the story goes, Jacob quietly and peacefully finished his prayer. And then he invited Mr. Saunders to go ahead and pull the trigger. Saying to Mr. Saunders, your loss will be my gain. And then he went on to say this, I have two masters, Master Jesus in heaven and Master Saunders on earth. I have a soul and a body, and a body, and my body may belong to you, but the soul already belongs to Jesus. Saunders was so shaken by this, the reports of this story, by the reports of this man's faith that Mr. Saunders never beat Jacob ever again. It's interesting that Jacob in his speech said he had two masters, but by what he said, he revealed he only had one. And if you want to live a life of complete loyalty, it happens with letting God have full reign and having only one master. A transformed heart. Our second implication of this that I think Jesus is trying to get us into here is that there's a difference. This modern view of trying to control the narrative lends us to fear. While if we let the light and let our heart be transformed, then we are actually free. If my goal is to transform my circumstance, then what are you going to do most of your life? You're going to spend most of your life avoiding difficult situations. Fearful situations, scary conversations, risky choices, sacrifice, generosity. If you are controlling the narrative, controlling the circumstance, you will avoid anything that threatens easy circumstance. But in the biblical view, where the goal is heart transformation, not circumstance change, you're free. You're free because here, Jesus is not just taking up re residence out there in a church building once a week or sometimes when you're doing religious things. He's taking up full residence in here. In every decision, in every part. And so therefore, fear no longer gets the first word. Will you still be fearful? Yes. But your freedom will overcome your fear. I've told and you've heard the story of St. Patrick before. St. Patrick, the missionary to, to Ireland who converted many, and we still celebrate 
the day, although terribly misguided, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. But St. Patrick was not Irish. He was British. But the reason he celebrated Ireland is because as a British man, he was imprisoned and beaten for his faith in Ireland. And then when he was freed and became a Christian and, and, and became a deeper Christian, he decided not to live by fear, but to move back to Ireland and keep preaching, where he converted many. He wrote a famous prayer in which a section of it is a prayer that goes like this. He says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. It's a beautiful, amazing prayer. If you're looking for a prayer to pray, that's a prayer. But I love the title of the prayer. He entitled it, The Breastplate of the Christian Life. And I think that he named it that because his heart was the place of transformation, not his circumstances. So fear didn't win. And then lastly, the last implication of this is as people when we have Jesus' idea of inside-out transformation, we move from being greedy to generous. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21, right, Do not store up treasures for yourselves on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, and it's the same thing he just said about eyesight and your eyes being the lamp of the body and your heart. If your heart's dark, how dark you're going to see the world. It's the same idea. He says where your treasure is, guess what? It's where your heart's going to be also. There is a false gospel out there at work. And that is the false gospel that I don't know if it's said this way always, but the way I have heard it, is, well, I can kind of do what I want, but God knows my heart. Right? It's the excuse we make when we say, yeah, I know I didn't do the thing I probably should have done, and I don't want to really be responsible for it, so let me just give you this excuse. God still knows my heart. Well, that is a false gospel because that doesn't jive with the way Jesus says it works. Jesus says what you treasure reveals your heart, not the other way around. In other words, go look at your bank account. Go look where you spend your time. Go look at all the effort you put into whatever you do and guess where else, what else will be there? Your heart. Because transformation doesn't happen from the outside. It happens from the inside. I saw this this week that I really wanted to share with y'all. And, and it must have impacted me because I don't share stories about football players from the University of Texas very often. But I saw this story about a homeless ministry, a Christian homeless ministry in Austin that Bijan Robinson, the incredibly talented running back, has gotten involved in. 
And it was on ESPN of all places. But it was so Christ-centered and it was so much about seeing from a transformed heart and not a circumstance-changed heart, I had to share it with y'all. So y'all watch this. It's about five minutes long. I want y'all to see this. Nathan, you want to get the lights here? Stage lights?
whatever the first year and a half, two years that he lived here, he never came out of his home, period. He went from being a wallflower uh, to a flowering human being. We call him the mayor of the community first village today. He's everywhere. I was a very successful realtor for over 30 years. And he had a financial crisis. I was broke, so I became homeless. When I first came, I felt bad about myself. When you come out here, it's a new beginning. We love you, you're a human being. We want to build your head. I can't realize I can rebuild my life. With Alan giving him a second chance and giving him a chance to be like a normal person, it's really important to, to give him that. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty speechless. This is like something that I want to get into big time. That is helping people. We believe that every human on this planet has a halo, and inside that halo is their sphere of influence. And so when you look at somebody like B. John Robinson, he has the ability inside his halo to be able to attract other people to the work that we're doing. And, you know, I think this place caught his heart. I have the opportunity to show that I'm not just, you know, a football player and that I really do have a heart and care for, you know, other things in life and for other people in other communities. I know that, you know, God put me on this earth to impact people in that way. He gave me the, the platform to do so much more off the field. You know, I was trying to gain those extra yards for them, so that's why I'm running as hard as I can. He's going to be taking a lot of people with it, so let's run. <laughs> Now you heard it in there. What Jesus is getting at. Too many of us, because we live by that modern view of transformation, still live in fear and in greed. And the challenge with this today is this, is that seeing is not believing. When it comes to the Christian life, believing is seeing. Because we believe in one God and Father who has created each of us and created every human on earth. We can live a different way because we believe in his son who has died for every human on earth. We can give and be generous and serve unlike anybody else. And because we believe in the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have nothing to fear. So we can be the people that God has called us to be. Stop striving outside in. Today I challenge you to do it inside out. The world that God has created is generous, it is good, it is beautiful. And we get the privilege of getting to call it out and show people where it is. May your heart be transformed because how you see is a lot more important than what you see. If you need anything today, we're here to pray for you and to love on you. Let's stand together as we praise God.